Join me as I pray. Father, this morning I ask for your words, and I ask for correction if the wrong ones come out. I'd ask that you help me submit my heart to your spirit, and that you'd help me not grasp after my own will, but yield to yours. Help me announce your kingdom and bear witness to your work. I ask that your reign increase here in this church, in our lives, and in the world. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. amen. You're already noticing that uh, I broke a few of the rules this morning. I asked Greg to read something else, and thank you so much, Greg, for doing that. He's back there. Yeah, that's right. He's taking over for me because I was running sound at the first half. See, sometimes the rules just get broken. But uh, I had uh, two and a half chapters of scripture to cover this morning. And I don't think of myself as a very good public reader. And so I asked somebody else to do some of the reading. So I broke a rule. I'm going to break some other rules this morning. I normally do that. I like doing that. Um, Paisley and I have had an argument about how arguments should go. <laughs> Paisley thinks that if she, she uh, puts her points forward, it should convince me and I should stop. <laughs> but you see how the rules work, right? The rules don't actually work. What if I'm just do, having the argument to pester her? In which case, her stating her case so eloquently um, some of you don't know this, the argument that we've had long running is what constitutes a unicorn? <laughs> and I say one horn on the head, which means rhinoceros. Yes? Not all of them, just some of them. Because some rhinoceros have two horns and they are not unicorns. But she would say the horn is in the wrong location. See, the horn is supposed to be on the head and not the nose. And I would say the nose is on the head. Semantics. <laughs> yeah, semantics. One of the things about this that I think is, is really interesting is we're talking about Joseph. And Joseph hasn't quite arrived yet in, into the person he's going to be. And some of the story is this, and what I want to say is this, have you seen God at work? This is the question, have you seen God at work in your life before? Okay, have you seen times when he didn't seem to be at work in your life and maybe not even present? Okay, I want to make sure you understand the rule here that you have never been alive a day when he was not present and in charge. So the problem is with our perceptions, yes, that sometimes he's obviously at work, and other times he's obscurely at work. Does that match your experience, that, 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 that there's explicit times when God's there, you can feel the goosebumps on your, on your arm, and then there's times when he's at work, and the only time you hear, you figure it out is six weeks later when you go, oh, that's what was going on. Joseph has some of this. I, I, I need to sort of 
explain some of the beauty of the passage in Hebrew that is sort of lost in English so that you know this. Um, early on, there, so there are three sets of dreams in the Joseph story. There's the ones that he has, but his brothers, without the Lord's assistance, interpret them. Yes? I was, I had this dream, and there were 12 sheaths in, in the thing, and the other 11 bowed to my sheath, and they all interpreted it immediately, yes? As, you're gonna rule over us, you think? Then there's the dreams in prison of the cupbearer and the baker, and did you notice that, that the interpretation that, that he has a really dramatically different way of talking about dreams and interpretation. He says, interpreting dreams is God's business, not mine. By the way, that's completely different from the whole culture. Their whole culture says, we have magicians and, and people to read omens and priests and, and they do all that. But this says, dreams is God's business. Now, we're also going to handle another set of dreams because in the next chapter, Pharaoh has dreams and nobody can seem to explain them. Now, I would like to say, really? They seem fairly obvious to me. But in the, in the business, they come to him. Pharaoh says, and this is the, the quote here. He says, nobody can do this thing. Can you, I'll tell you the story and you interpret the dreams. And... And he says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. That's a dramatic change in the understanding of dream interpretation. I just need you to know that there's this pattern going on. Um, I said to Greg before the service, Joseph has the most terrible luck with clothing. Doesn't he? He gets a fancy robe that makes his brothers hate him. And, and by the way, as the story goes, he gets that, in the Hebrew, he gets that robe from the hand of his father. Later, he falls into the hands of his brothers, which is a way of saying under their power, isn't it? But then that, that robe is taken from him and delivered from the, hand, the brother's hands into the hand of the father. And it goes on, and he is delivered into the hand of the Ishmaelites, and he is delivered into the power of Potiphar, into the hand of Potiphar, and then he loses a rope there in the hand of Potiphar's wife. Do you sense a pattern here? Later, when he gets when he interprets the dreams and Pharaoh makes him powerful, all the things come from Pharaoh's hand. Yes, it's a very interesting storyline. Just some other stuff that you would sort of say in there. I just need you to understand that, that, they're, that they're trying to make it obvious that's got something coming on, but there's also three statements of faith in, this, in here, okay? So the first one is Judah to Tabar. You're more righteous than me. And I wanna say, duh. 
Do you remember the Tamar story in Judah? We just talked about it, that, that he put her away because his two sons had died and then waited and waited and waited and didn't give them to the, young, her, to the youngest son so that the, the line could be in. And then when she plays the harlot or the prostitute with him, with him, he says, well, she was a prostitute, kill her. And she says, well, the person that did this with me, this is his stick. And of course it was his. And he says, you're more righteous than I am. And at that point I wanna say, duh, right? Do you understand? Everybody's more righteous than Judah at the point. Judah thinks his brother should be sold into slavery. Judah thinks he, right, his wife isn't even given a name in her own story. Um, the whole thing goes on. He doesn't honor people. Joseph's interpreting the dreams and God is God's business. And then actually even later, it's even beyond his power to do that. These are strong statements of faith in, in the light of one thing. God at work throughout the story implicitly, not explicitly. Do you remember that? There's these statements. And Potiphar noticed that everything in his hands prospered, and so he gave everything into his hands. He, he, he gave everything into my hands. He, Joseph tells Potiphar's wife that he's withhold only one thing, you. And, and how, could I, how could I do such an evil thing? Later on, he gets thrown into prison. Potiphar was furious, this is from uh, chapter 40, was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. That's not as obvious what he's mad about in the original Hebrew. This sounds like he's mad about Joseph treating her this way. Um, there's significant doubt about what Potiphar's mad about in the story. But anyway, he's in jail and he looks after it and then the warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything and the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Do you think that that's goosebump moments or do you think that's everyday stuff? Do, do you understand the question I'm talking about? That, that everything Joseph did in prison was prospered by God. Does that mean he got out of prison? No. Does that mean everybody noticed it? No, it, it's sort of, in, in this case, the warden noticed sort of like the way we notice a leaf is moved by the wind. The leaf was here, now it's over here. The wind has moved it, we didn't see the wind. Things are going wrong in the, in the jail, now they run smoothly. The warden goes, huh, only one thing changed, Joseph in charge, God working implicitly. Behind the scenes. What does it mean to have a God that more often works behind the scenes unnoticed by his creation? What does it mean for you in your life? Does it mean that when you don't see him, you're completely in charge and you don't have to do anything else? Or as Bev said, the instructions of the game are in here. It's not really a game though, is it Bev? No. Um, and, and I don't 
always heard Bible was basic instructions before leaving Earth. But um, this is much more about a relationship, about how you live in sync or, or in tune with our God. So when he's working behind the scenes, I want to ask us this question. How do we know we're in tune with a God who's doing things implicitly, not explicitly, where you can't deny that was God? So in order to think about this, I think it's rather important to say, do you have a that was God moment that you can just bring up from your file cabinet and just bring it up and think about it for a moment? Do you have a moment you go, wow, that was God? Do you have a moment you can think of? You got it in your head? How many of those do you think you have? Any guesses? 17, 18 of those in your life? 20, 40? Did you say 135? 133, that's, no. It's, it's a specific number. Now I want to say to you, remember that, that he's always at work. And the difference about how he works is about our perception of him working. He is always Lord of the universe. He is always in charge. And every time we draw breath, that is him at work. Or as one song says, it's your breath in our lungs and we sing out our, our, your praise. But in Genesis 1 and 2, God breathes his breath into the human, into the earthly, and it's actually his breath that gives us life. How many times do you breathe every day? God at work behind the scenes, not really given the credit for working as consistently as he does. And then we see a one big, oh my moment. And we go, see, God was at work. What I'm trying to do is get our hearts in tune with the pattern of God in our lives where it's okay not to be noticed. If we're going to be like him, we're going to do some things, and it's okay to just do things and not be noticed. Now, I know that that's really hard in a human heart, because when you do something, you want to be noticed for it. And if you do it well, you really want to be noticed, unless you do it badly, in which case you don't want to be noticed. But everything he does, and so let me, let me do this. Let me talk just a little bit about... the time frame of Genesis 3940 and 41. Just so you understand what we're talking about here. So when Judah is going on in the story, it says that from the moment that Judah, Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites or the Midianites, he, Judah, leaves the family and goes off and gets married and has three kids and then those kids grow to adulthood and then one of them gets married and dies and then as the Jewish tradition is is to keep the wine 
going. The young, the middle son is supposed to have a, a child for the older brother, but that child dies, and then the younger one is too young, and so he puts Judah, uh, Tamar away, and it's so long that she she despairs. But these are generalized times, right? Joseph is 17 when he's sold, and it says in this in this time that he was put in prison for quite some time. I like that definiteness. And that he interprets these dreams. And then two years later, Pharaoh has dreams. And then he interprets those dreams. And it says that at this point in time, before the seven years of famine and the seven years of, of great harvest, it says that Joseph is 30. That means that 13 years either as a slave in Potiphar's house or in jail. We know at least 11 before the, at least the last two years in jail. How long does it take for a generation to grow up and have and, and get married? And, well, 20 years. Okay, so we're at 13 years and then seven years of, of great after storage cities are built. So we're getting the timeline in here, right? Um, towns just show up, don't they? In the ancient world, Pharaoh goes like this and the town just pops up. No. Um, it's a place of sand and so they have to go get stone and do all that. There's seven years. Then they collect the food for seven years and then they give out food for seven years. So we're talking at least 30 years. Yeah? How many oh my moments are recorded here? Three, four, <laughs> a very small amount. How does Joseph make it in his life of faith from my brothers, the brutes, To, let me do this. I, I, I want to get right here to where he has kids. Okay, so Joseph, this, this is after the dreams. Do you know the story of the dreams of Pharaoh? That he has seven fat cows come out of the Nile and then seven really thin ones devour the fat ones. And Joseph talks about seven good years and then seven bad years. And then he says... So the dreams, Pharaoh has these dreams, and, and the cupbearer says, oh, I'm reminded I failed. Some time ago, you were angry with me, and you imprisoned me, and one night, we had a dream, and there was somebody that interpreted the dreams. I'm in chapter 41, uh, verse 13. There was a young Hebrew man, Ishi with us in the prison, who was a slave of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he told us what each dream meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored and the chief baker was executed by, and impaled. 
Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. And after he sh shaved and changed his clothes, there's an implicit change in clothes, right? Why change clothes? Because when you're in prison, you don't get new clothes. In the ancient world, you get the tatters that you have, and so you can't be in Pharaoh's presence that way. So he changes his clothing. When he stood before Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that you can do that. It is beyond my power to do this. It's quite a different thought from a young man who said, you know, we were out in the, in the field and your sheaths bowed to me. Just remember, there's a pathway here. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream. He goes on and he says, both dreams mean the same thing. This will happen as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh, not to, not to Joseph, in advance that what he is about to do this verse 29 the next seven years will be great prosperity but afterwards the seven years of famine will be so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten and it would destroy the land this famine will be so severe even the memory of the good years will be erased as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find intelligent and wise men and put, put that man in charge and of the entire land of Egypt and then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors and, and collect one-fifth of the crop during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses store it away and guard it. Otherwise, the land will be destroyed. Joseph's suggestions were well received. Remember, shave and get changed to come out of jail. You think this is probable? How probable do you think this is the way this happened? I want to say that it's not listed as probable. It's not being explained as probable. It's being listed as an explicit work of God to put the right person in the right moment. Even if other um, Semites became um, leaders of Egypt, which had happened, this is still listed as this. Then Pharaoh said, since God has revealed the meaning to you, no one else is as intelligent or wise as you. You will be in charge of my court. And he lifts him up, and Pharaoh said, I hereby put you in charge of my entire land. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen and clothing and hung a gold chain, and he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second command. And wherever Joseph went, the command and shout, kneel. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge, and Pharaoh said, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the land without your approval. And he gave him a new name from his hand, and a new wife, and so the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land, and he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh in the presence of 
of inspected the entire land of Pharaoh, and he predicted the seven years doing this problem. And I get down here, and he had two kids. Do you know his, his names? Manasseh and Ephraim. So these are names of the tribes of Israel. Do you know what Manasseh means? God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Years have gone by. You're naming your kid that. Have you forgotten? Absolutely not. Ephraim, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. In your bulletin are the three questions we had from last week. Yes? We're talking about whether God is visibly at work or invisibly at work. How do you know? He's at work. So if you're not seeing him, he's invisibly at work. That's how you know. Yes? If you're not recognizing him at work, he's at work. You're not. You're the problem. Not him. He's at work. If we want to see him, we have to get used to being tuned to seeing him. Am I in sync or out of sync? Am I tuned to what God is doing in my life? This is a question for you to think about. Then once you start to see him, what is he doing in your life? And you can write that down. This is for yourself, right? And then this question, how will I respond? And what are the appropriate responses to, I see God doing something over there. Do you, do you know what the first appropriate response is? Thank you for being at work. Thanks be to God. What's the second appropriate response? Pick yourself up and go over and join it. Yeah? How can I help? Uh, how can I not be a puppet in this process, right? How can I help? The whole thing, this whole thing is about whether or not we understand that God is always at work and how do we see him and how do we know him at work. And sometimes the role of church is part of that. When you're confused and you don't know, church is a place where you can come and bring your confusion and ask some people and go, huh, you're right, that is confusing. Or have you thought about this? Have you thought about, that's the role of church is to tune us to God, isn't it? When, we're, when we lack the definition, when we lack the system, as long as it's based on our basic instructions before leaving Earth, we won't be learning a game with the rules that go as we go. I am out of time. I've got a little bit more stuff to do, but I think that's enough for today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for always being at work. I thank you for moving in our lives. Help us always see it. Help us see it more. Give us eyes to see. And feet that get up and join you where you're at work. In your precious name, amen.